Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends. Good to have you with us on another episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and my guest on this week's episode is Tara Beth Leach, Senior Pastor of First Church of the Nazarene in Pasadena, California. Pasnaz is a historic church that is both intergenerational and intercultural with ministry in six different languages every week. In addition to serving as senior pastor, Tara Beth is the author of Kingdom Culture and Emboldened, and she also writes regularly for Missio Alliance. Tara Beth speaks at a number of conferences, colleges, and ministry events across the U.S. each year. Now, on this week's episode, Tara Beth and I focus on the craft of preaching. Tara Beth gives us a sneak peek behind the scenes as she and her teaching team approach preaching that leads to spiritual formation and practice in their context. Tara Beth shares how missional theology shapes her preaching and why creating opportunities for people to respond is absolutely key. She also shares how her church is living out what is preached in very tangible and kingdom-centered ways. Absolutely beautiful stuff going on in Pasadena. Tons of practical insights on sermon planning and preparation. So please won't you join me in my conversation with Tara Beth Leach. Tara Beth, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. So excited to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Now, Tara Beth, we're going to uh, dig into one of my favorite topics, and that is preaching. We're going to talk about how you approach preaching, um, preparing, planning, and actual the practice uh, of preaching. But before we get into some of the, uh, the those nuggets there, let's let let's just share with our listeners. Can you talk to us a little bit about how how you uh, were called into ministry? I would love to. So I did not grow up um, attending church very regularly, and we were probably more cultural Christians uh, attending a mainline church. And when I was in high school, um, Jesus captivated my attention actually through the ministry of Youth for Christ and just started learning um, what it looked like and what it meant to walk with Jesus in ways that I'd never heard before. And it was shortly after that that I went on a missions trip to Mexico with um, some other teenagers and we were doing a Bible study and the youth pastor was doing a Bible study and becoming fishers of men. And halfway through the study, he stopped and he said, I just feel like this is a holy moment, that God is calling someone here to become fisher of men. And he said, so if that's you, would you stand up? And I didn't hear an audible voice, but my palms were sweating, my heart was pounding, and I just knew. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into, of course, Mm -hmm. I knew that if I didn't say yes, I felt like I was just going to explode. And so I stood up and just actually wept and wept and wept and wept. It was such a holy surrender. And that was really one of the most, besides my first yes to Jesus, that was one of the more significant yeses to Jesus in my life. Uh, It set the trajectory for the rest of my life. I didn't know what I was going to do or what that would look like, but Ever since, I mean, leading now to where I am today, 37-year-old, pastoring a church in Pasadena, um, God, through the power of the Spirit, has been teaching me what this lifetime of saying yes to Jesus looks like. So here I am. 
That's awesome. I, lo- I love to hear people's um, stories of, of being called into ministry because that's, that's one of the things that we as ministers, we all have our story, right? We all have that experience. And just even as you were sharing that, um, I was reflecting back on on that yes that that I shared with with Jesus, yeah. you know what I mean, and that's, that's such a beautiful thing. So tell us a little bit. You you said that you're you, you're lead pastor, senior pastor in Pasadena. So talk to us a little bit about the church, the congregation, the community where you serve now. Yeah, so Pasnaz is considered to be a, a historic church within our denomination. Of course, compared to some of the mainline churches that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, um, but but for Nazarene, you know, it's it's we're an older church. It's over 115 years old. It's the second oldest church in our denomination, um, with just many many different. Um, storylines of legacies within the community and the denomination. Um, And so when you have older churches, um, they tend to be rather intergenerational. And so we have um, all ages represented here. There, we have some folks that have been worshiping here since the 1950s, uh, and then folks that have been worshiping here for 10 weeks. And so um, we're, we're growing young, um, but very much intergenerational as part of our identity. You'll see that in our ministries and our worship experience. And then also intercultural. We have five um, different languages that are spoken in worship um, in various worship services throughout the week. Mandarin, Cantonese, Korean, Armenian, and Spanish. And, and then, of course, English. Um, and so it's a, it's a wonderful church with a missional heartbeat for the community, true to the heartbeat for the Church of the Nazarene. Um, and we're just so excited the ways that the Spirit is continuing to lead us as a church uh, to care about uh, the marginalized and the broken and the hurting and the suffering in our midst. I love that. I love to hear that. Now, let, let's kind of focus this in on preaching because, of course, all of our preaching is contextual. So that's why understanding a bit about your church will, will help us understand more about about your preaching. But as we look at preaching, if if I was to, to ask you, Tara Beth, to just describe in a handful of words um, your preaching style, what would you say? Yeah, um, expressive. Um, I... I mean, it, if we're talking about style as in, you know, how I use my voice or it's it's very expressive. I use my full body when I preach. And I know that sounds odd, but if you saw, you know, would know what I mean. Um, I move a lot. Um, and then when it comes to actual content of preaching, um, it is it is, of course, it's very contextual. And so for me, I'm constantly thinking about. Um, how will this sermon move us or create a crisis or a disruption in our hearts uh, to be the people of God on mission? Yeah, so, so talk to me a little bit more about um, how missional theology intersects your approach to, to preaching on a weekly basis. What does that look like for you, and, and how is that maybe different from other types of preaching that we might be familiar with? Sure. I mean, there's, I think it's, again, like you said, it's important that we ground ourselves in understanding that preaching is very contextual to the culture and to the community. And so there's some really awesome preaching out there um, that a lot of us watch and listen to that are, that's very helpful and edifying that might focus on kind of this individual crisis experience um, or kind of a therapeutic approach to living 
you know, um, your personal or individual um, life in a way that honors God. That's really awesome. Um, at Paznaz, we we tend to focus on what it means to be a people, um, a community together on mission. And so I know I and the other pastors or other preaching pastors on staff have been really shaped and formed and influenced by a lot of really great missional theologians out there. And I think that's also really important considering the context that we are in. Um, we are not only in a formational crisis, but we're also in a missionary crisis in North America. And so I think more important than perhaps ever or in, in decades, um, we reclaim our missional identity. So when it comes to preaching, we talk a lot about what it looks like not only to be an attractive community or an attractive people um, in a weary world, but also what it means to be everyday ordinary Christians in our own neighborhoods, um, living and being the light of Jesus. So so oftentimes we have a lot of different sermon series that um, have that in mind. So so even as pastors, when we're creating our sermon series, for example, we say one of our driving questions is, is as pastors, who do we hope our people will be in Pasadena in 2019, 2020? Who are we trying to be and where are we going? That's good. So so talk to me a little bit, Tara Beth. How has the, the missional approach to preaching, um, like what, what fruits have come out of that that you have seen happening within your congregation and within your community that really kind of connect to that those missional roots? Yeah, well, one of the things I, I have to say, of course, is I stand on the shoulders of really great preachers. And so Paznas has, has been historically a church that cares about being on mission locally and globally. And so I'm merely, you know, standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before me. And so there's there's been so many awesome ministries in our community um, that existed before I came, such as a ministry called Church in the Park that um, has a worship service and offers a hot meal to about 150, 200 people who are homeless. We have a food bank um, and a clothing bank. Um, and then something really new that we are really excited about that we believe that the Spirit has been driving us towards, and we've preached on it and we've talked about it, um, is caring for the immigrant community. And so a brand new ministry that we are partnering with is um, with a ministry called Urban Strategies. And in the next couple of months, uh, a part of our building is going to be transformed into a daycare um, that will care, have wraparound services for unaccompanied children who are crossing the border. And, um, and so these unaccompanied children that cross the border um, will have a, a place um, where they'll be loved and cared for for 30 to 40 days while the Office of Refugee Resettlement um, tries to locate a sponsor. But then we're also, um, as a church, going to be fostering these children. And so we are inviting our people to be the hands and feet of Jesus, um, to show the love of Jesus for the small window of time that we get to have and care for these children. And so that's that's been just another example in ways that we are talking about preaching about what it means to be the people of God on mission, but then also creating clear paths for our people um, to actually live this out. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, th- I think that connectivity is so important because we know that we can preach about any issue. You know what I mean? We can, we can preach about anything from Scripture, um, but if we're not helping our people uh, translate, you know, what they're hearing in weekend worship gatherings, 
to like daily life and what that really looks like and how that means uh, like in, in your case, for example, you're actually transforming part of your present space to be used in a very um, intentional way that matches with, you know, the missional preaching, the missional theology that, right. that you're sharing. And, and I think that I think it's beautiful, Tara Beth, because you're showing from the church as, as a whole like how this is impacting, like things are changing at your church. I mean, I mean, facilities are being utilized in, in new ways and people are being invited to step into this. And I, I think that helps people see, oh, wait, this isn't just a weekend thing that we talk right. about, but this, this actually has real world impact, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we just, more and more, you know, it's, I think churches like Pazmaz and other churches that have historically been larger and have this large auditorium seating and, you know, good music, I think it's easy for it to turn into come, consume, and see the show. Mm -hmm. That's easy to happen. And it happens in so many places of worship. Uh, but I think that it's just so important that we as pastors create clear paths to give the ministry to the people. So not only are we preaching about what it looks like to be the hands and feet of Jesus or what a robust ecclesiology or missiology looks like, you know, because we can stay in that ivory tower and paint this utopian view, um, or we can begin to connect it to what we're preaching week in and week out. And that's been something really important for us that we are constantly talking about as a pastoral staff. How can we drive there? How can we get our people there? How can we create these clear paths? Yeah, yeah, I, lo- I absolutely love that. Let, let's dig in a little more you've kind of contrasted the kind of missional approach to, to preaching and teaching with some of the preaching and teaching that we hear that's kind of more individualistically focused, right? So it's more kind of like um, Jesus and me and what that looks like in my life as opposed yes. to kind of Jesus and and us, uh, right? So um, talk to me a little, a little bit more about, like, why do you see that as as so important kind of in, in, in the way that you're approaching ministry in the church as a whole, and why do you think that maybe a, a shift in emphasis, because we do see a lot of more individualistic, you know, forms of, of preaching and teaching, why why is this shift necessary for us as a church and really even for, for our time that we find yeah, ourselves in, right? That's, that's a really great question. And first, before I answer that, let me say, though, that we do preach some of those sermons um, a few times a year. They three to four times a year. I mean, just last Sunday, we were in between preaching series and I talked about shame and secrets Um, because so it's not that I'm opposed to them, um, you know, because ultimately the individuals are the makeup of what makes up the people of God. Um, And but at the same time, the reason why we are driving so much and so hard towards preaching on what it means to be the people of God, that Jesus is king, we are citizens of the kingdom, is because it's very much going against the grain of what culture continues to tell us. Um, culture continues to ingrain in us that it's about the individual, that it's about me, it's about myself and I, it's about a personal relationship. It's, it's, it's therefore so much about a personal relationship that I don't need to be in a worshiping community. I can listen to my favorite preacher online, um, and live in isolation. And not only is, is that what culture is telling us, but it is absolutely counter to what scripture says. Uh, 
the scripture, this grand narrative, the story of God is all about God and God's people. Yes, there are absolutely things that I can apply to my own life, but that is not the end goal. That's not the end in and of itself. It's ultimately about what it means to be a holy, attractional people, uh, to be a light. And so for us, the reason why we're driving so much at it is because the moment that our folks leave this place, the messages that they are getting are, it's about you, it's about what you want, your rights, and it's about what you consume and your desires and your needs. And so our hope is that when when our people gather together every week, that that what we are doing is is um, countercultural, that, that it, there's, there's a distinction about it, that when the world says sit behind a computer, we're saying, no, we want to gather together as an embodied people, rubbing shoulders, knowing each other's stories, not just online, but together in a space, um, in a, in an actual building, um, with people with real stories. Uh, and then not only that, but this purpose that God has given us isn't just about individuals fulfilling their own purpose, um, but actually it's about us fulfilling our purpose for the glory of God. Yeah, I love that. It's beautiful. And and as you're talking and as you've kind of shared about your congregation, you know, six different languages, you know, being there in, in Southern California, how, how Terry Beth, how do you hold... Um, people from so many different backgrounds, so many different experiences. And I imagine even, you know, political biases are, are probably, you know, different um, across the board within your congregation. How, how do you help people who have, you know, so many differences in their background and what they're bringing as, as the people of God? Yeah. How, how, how do you help them have that sense of, of community and like, we're in this thing together when there's so so many differences a- across your congregation? Well, it's not easy. It is very, very challenging. Um, and historically, Paznaz has been known to be a challenging church to pastor. And um, and I would say I think that's that's true, not because the, they're awful people. They're amazing. They're wonderful, godly people um, who also happen to come together with a lot of differences in ideology, um, partisan politics, um, culture and background and storylines. And yet we come together and we worship every week and we're trying to figure this out together. And so, so it's really hard. And so for us, you know, that of course that happens in the pulpit, in the preaching moment, um, talking about ultimately what it means to be citizens in the kingdom of God. I also think that Paul's pastoral letters are incredibly helpful. The book of Romans, we did a sermon series in Romans, incredibly helpful because what Paul is dealing with is Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians not getting along and talking about, hey, we are all on the same playing field here. Uh, We are all one in Christ. Uh, And so I think ultimately talking about, well, first, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Uh, when we say that Jesus is Lord, we are saying that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. We are saying then that if Jesus is Lord, we are citizens of the kingdom and we live in the way of Jesus and we take our cues from Jesus, not 
from partisan politics, um, not from the prevailing ideology of the world, but then also, again, creating clear practices. And so we have been doing more potlucks and eating together because we believe that the practice of eating something profound and beautiful and holy and sacred happens when I gather at a table with someone that has profound differences from me that suddenly begins to melt away uh, as we are breaking bread together, as we are practicing the presence of one another, tending to the presence of one another, as we're also tending to the presence of Jesus as Lord, who is also present. Yeah, I love that. I think it's very helpful, especially, you know, going into um, another election year. And as we saw through the the last election, a lot of divisiveness. Um, So kind of holding that tension and, and allowing people to to be who they are, but continuing to point them to the kingdom and That's right. bringing people together so that they can understand one another's differences and, and not, not be divisive over those, uh, but right. understand that we're at the table together. Right. And so, you know, encouraging conversation, which is one of the things I think it's, uh, that's becoming more and more lost in our world today. So I, I love that you're championing that, um, at, at your church. Thank you. Uh, Tara Beth, let's, let's talk, let's get in a little more practice, right? So how, how often do you, as the senior pastor at Paznaz, how often are you preaching? Yeah, so I preach about 80% of the time. Over the summer, it was probably 75%, um, which is a new shift for this church. Um, historically, it has been a one preacher church, unless the pastor was out of town, And so um, for me, I have a very different philosophy behind that. It's not better, just different. Um, And I think it's really important um, for our church to hear from men and women, um, for them to hear from multiple generations. Um, And so for there to be diversity in the pulpit, and we are still, we still have not arrived. Um, We're still pretty white. Um, but we, you know, we, we, we've got to keep pressing into having diversity in the pulpit, having multiple perspectives, multiple voices, um, and multiple ages. I think it's really easy, um, in today's culture, especially Christian culture for this, there to be a celebrity cult, celebrity pastor, um, kind of mindset where the church kind of revolves around the pastor. And um, that's that's incredibly problematic because what happens when the pastor goes? Mm-hmm. And so, and I think we're seeing that a lot with the boomer generation, with a lot of baby boomer pastors, celebrity pastors retiring and churches trying to figure out how to continue on. And so I think it's healthiest for the church for there to be multiple preachers in the pulpit. Um, my ideal space would be 75% year round, though um, that's that's still hard for a church that's not used to that. So we've been kind of easing into it. Yeah, I love that. I love that uh, in, in the intentionality in there. And I have seen, you know, as I travel the country, work a lot with lots of different churches, I have seen uh, a movement similar to what, what you guys are, how you're approaching it there at Paz Naz, where yeah. they're looking at, you know, the, the, the senior, the lead pastor preaching, um, you know, around 75% or so of the time, but then having an intentional team of other voices, other generations, you know, speaking yeah. into uh, the community. And that, that kind of all pushes back to what you've been championing and, and talking about, uh, right. Beth, is, you know, this idea that, that uh, we are this community, we are the people of God. And if that's true, you know, I mean, that 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 just reinforces this idea of we versus me. Right. So, yeah, I love that. All right. So cool. Now, let's talk about um, how you approach 
um, planning out your kind of preaching calendar? What what does that look like? What's your, what's your approach? How far out are you planning? What rhythms are you planning in? Uh, what does that look like for you? So we plan 12 to 15 months out on average. Um, we do a um, preaching worship planning retreat um, every year um, with multiple people from our staff, not just those who are on the preaching team. And um, we, we do have a rhythm that we follow. We do follow the Christian calendar, um, not always the lectionary. Um, in fact, very rarely the lectionary, just a couple times a year, but we do follow the rhythms. Mm. And so um, during the summer in ordinary time, we will often do a book of the Bible. Now often we've always, since I've been here, we've done a book of the Bible. So we've done Acts, Romans, Colossians, and Exodus. And then in the fall, we often will do a series with our neighborhood in mind and some of the cultural realities that our neighbors are dealing with. Um, And so this year we're doing a sermon series called Blessed and talking about what it means to live the blessed life and how Jesus flips that worldview upside down. Um, And then we in late fall, we always end up doing a generosity sermon series where we talk about um, what it means to live the just recklessly generous life that Jesus calls us to live. Um, and that leads us up to Christ the King Sunday. And so Christ the King Sunday, we will typically preach the lectionary text, and then we go into um, Advent from Christ the King Sunday. And that's when we really start to hold to um, the rhythms of the Christian calendar. So we go through Advent, and um, sometimes we'll preach lectionary, sometimes we won't. Coming out of Advent, we go into then, um, you know, Christmas, um, the first, second Sunday of Christmas, um, and then we go into Epiphany, um, and we'll preach Epiphany Sunday, and then usually, um, sometimes we'll do a sermon series that has to do with light um, between Epiphany and Lent, and last year we did one called Radiant. We also focus a lot on practices um, during the month of January and February because people are thinking about New Year's resolutions, and so we want to talk about what does it mean to live a life uh, that is rhythm and practice and centered. Uh, coming out of that, then we go into Lent, and um, we follow the calendar and often the lectionary during the season of Lent. Um, and then into Easter Sunday. And then um, out of Easter Sunday, we follow the rhythm for Eastertide. And so we'll typically do an Eastertide series. Um, and so last year, our Eastertide series was called People of the Resurrection. And we walked through all the resurrection encounters of the disciples. And that was a really awesome and fun series. Then into Pentecost. And Pentecost is a really big day here. We have our intercultural worship. And so um, for that worship service, all five languages are spoken at once. It's really amazing and powerful. And then we're back into our summer ordinary time. That's awesome. I love that. I love to. I always love to hear how different churches approach um, the rhythms of the the Christian calendar. And um, and I think those rhythms are are hugely important for us. Um, yeah. You know, as as we're being formed, right? So um, I, I love that practice. Can you talk to me a little bit? I, I loved hearing what you're saying, you know, kind of January and February, you're looking at practices. Can you talk just a little bit more about um, what that looks like? So are you talking about, um, you know, digging into scripture um, and what that means to have, you know, develop those practices in, in your life, prayer? Um, what, what types of things are you looking at during yeah, that time? Uh, yes, 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 and yes. You know, I think, unfortunately, we reduce practices to only that, to right, right and scripture reading. 
um, the Christian life is an embodied life. And so, you know, and it's, it's helpful. We have our, uh, one of our preaching teaching pastors, um, Dr. Brad Strawn, he is, um, the chair of, uh, the integration of psychology and theology at Fuller Seminary and has written a great deal amount of what it, this just embodied life that we live. And so he's constantly reminding us, we've got to talk about practices about what this looks like. And so, um, and James K.A. Smith has been really helpful for me, um, just talking about how we order our lives towards, you know, just this ultimate vision of the Christian life. And so in, in January, we, um, work hard for after every sermon to give our people a practice um, that they can do and talk about what it means to order our lives in a very particular way. So, you know, we did a sermon series called The Good Life, and that was based off of um, a lot of James K.A. Smith's work. We did um, a series called Sacred Ordinary, and that was um, based off of um, um, Liturgy of the Ordinary book. Um, we did a series called Radiant and what it means to be people of light, and we gave our people a business card with a prayer that we read three times a day and um, when we challenged our people to live it. And even in this coming, it's not just January, but even this coming series for Blessed, we are giving our people something to do every single week. Um, you know, it might be this week, we, we challenge you to write a letter to a convalescent center. Uh, to someone living, you know, in a convalescent home or to visit them or to care for them. Um, because we want to remind people, again, it's not just about coming and seeing something, but it's about living this life. Yeah, I, lo- I love the intentionality of um, engaging that practice um, as, as part of our formation. So that's something that that we're living and breathing, embodying, as you said. Um, yes. Well done. Let me ask you this uh, real quickly. When you do your um, your, you know, preaching and worship planning retreat, what time of the year do you do that? Uh, late spring, early summer. Okay. And so when we do it, and and we like I said, we typically try to have fifteen months out, months out. So when we did it in early June this year, we already knew from last year that our summer preaching series was going to be Exodus. Mm-hmm. And so we had planned out all the way to um, September one. Uh, and we just needed to plan from September on. And so we are, again, same, same. We have things mapped out now through September 1 of next year. Yeah, good, good. And that and that's what I see a lot. I know that, that was my own practice as well um, when I was preaching weekly was, was you know, kind of doing that, that planning and prep with our team so that kind of our fresh beginning was, you know, fall, yeah. so beginning of September. Yeah. So that's that's good. Excellent. One other question, and this is kind of just based on – you know, you're, you're preaching a particular text, you know, you're preparing. What does um, sermon preparation look like for you? Like, what does it look like? Maybe you've already got kind of calendared what, what you're looking at, you know, down the road. But as you near maybe a new series, um, what does that preparation begin to look like? And then what does it look like the week of, you know, for that particular message too? So we work really collaboratively as a, as a team and talk about – um, you know, what scripture text and what theme we're preaching for the day. And then from there on out, um, as far as the actual sermon goes, it's it's up to the preacher um, to begin that preparation process. So we talk about it as a team. Um, and so for me, you know, the week of, um, you know, I know in advance where we're headed for this series. Um, sermon preparation begins um, either Monday night or Tuesday afternoon around noon, 1230 Um, And I will study for several hours on Tuesday afternoons, um, reading commentaries and books. And so 
the first six, seven hours of sermon preparation is just reading, um, underlining, highlighting, digging into scholars. It's really important for me to know the various scholarship that is out there on a particular topic. Um, and um, and while well, I guess I should back up before I even read the scholarship, it's it's saturating and reading over the actual scripture passage and journaling on that. Um, so saturating, journaling over the scripture passage, then getting into the scholarship, uh, and then from there on out journaling some of the things that I'm seeing and um, observing from the passage, and then the scholarship and reflections and thoughts. Um, and from there, I begin to draw out a particular theme, you know, kind of a Thurman thesis or a driving image. Um, driving images are really important to us um, that just kind of carry us through the entire sermon. Um, you know, for example, last week, the driving image for us was hide and seek. Um, and we set that up at the beginning and wrapped it up at the end. Um, and so, you know, from that thesis, then I'll, I'll, I'll begin formulating an introduction and, um, you know, an introduction that kind of leaves people wanting an answer. You know, you set things up open ended um, where then you look to the text or that answer and then begin to develop it from there. Um, so Thursdays, I work from home. I study, write all day Thursday. Um, and um, by the end of Thursday, I hope to have at least 2,200 words on paper um, in a Microsoft Word of, of where I think I'll head. Um, and then I work on it again about four more hours on Saturdays, um, tweaking and creating an outline. And I put an outline then inside my Bible, practice it a few times in my mind, not out loud. I've never been able to do that. Um, and then Sunday morning, it's go time. I love it. I love I love to to hear how how preachers prepare. It's just a cool thing because we all have, you know, uh, a, a way that we go about it. And yeah. I think that develops over over the years as we're preaching. Um, yeah. It's just fun to, to see that and to hear how that all yeah. comes together. Uh, Terry Beth, so, you know, let's say, you know, uh, sermon series, like what you're going to dive into for Advent. Um, yes. Right. And, and here we are as we're recording this. We're in uh, beginning of September. So do you find yourself like you'll see something, you'll read a blog post or you'll, you know, something, something will come up and you'll be like, man, you know, and that reminds you of, Hey, week two of Advent, you know, we're, we're approaching this cause you already have that. And so do you kind of tuck that away and then come back to some of those things? Do you find do. things like bubbling up? Yes, I do. I do. And I'll, I have, you know, folders in my phone, um, <laughs> that I'll see stuff that I'll see that I'll save or that, uh, I'll be woken in the middle of the night and I'll write it down. Um, and so I do tuck stuff away for sure. Yeah. And I love that. And, I, and that's one of the things that, you know, I've always encouraged as, uh, you know, pastors I'm mentoring is that that's why it's always helpful to prayerfully plan far down the road because um, the spirit's always at work, right? So there are all these little things that, that are popping up as you go. And if you really don't know where you're headed down the road, um, right. that maybe an encounter you have with someone or a story, you, you know, you may, you may not you know, think of it in the same way. Whereas if you know, you're going to be preaching on a particular topic or a particular theme at some point, you know, sometimes those things, those things resonate. So that's, that's a lot of fun. I love that. Um, let me ask you this, Terry Beth, what are some um, resources that you found most helpful for your sermon planning, your sermon preparation? It, it can be anything. It could be um, tools. It can be particular commentaries, it can be particular um, theologians or writers, or are there certain things that, that you have found to be, you know, really, really helpful? Yeah, probably the thing 
things that have been the most helpful have been commentaries. Um, I really, really, really rely on um, scholars. Uh, I, I just thank God every week uh, for some of these just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant biblical scholars mm-hmm. that have created these commentaries. Um, they help scripture come alive um, in just such incredible ways. Um, and so, I, I, you know, and of course, like most pastors, like, the my commentary sets that I have and the commentaries that I own are just treasures. Um, and I'm constantly, you know, coveting for more and um, <laughs> definitely commentaries. Excellent. Excellent. Well, very well. Well, Terabeth, is there anything else that maybe we didn't touch upon that you think, man, this might be helpful or from my experience or anything that you'd like to share with, with pastors or ministry leaders that are listening in? Yeah, I think when it comes to preaching, one of the most important things for a preacher is find your voice. Um, I think when we first start preaching, we often mimic those that we see and we think, I have to preach like that. But God has actually wired us all different, with different voices, different perspectives, different styles. And if we are preaching, if it's born out of prayer, birthed in the power of the Spirit, there is no, you know, just weird way, weird style. Of course, we ought to lean into the mentors, you know, but but at the same time, I think it's so important that we hone in and find and own the voice that God has given us. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Terabeth, thank you so much for being with us, for sharing. Um, I think this is very, very helpful. And like I said, it's always, it's always exciting to hear um, how other preachers are approaching um, you know, how they're approaching the, the, the people God has entrusted to them, the message that has been entrusted to them, how they're preparing, how they're working with their team. So thank you for, you know, kind of giving us a little sneak peek behind the scenes at Paznaz and how you guys are approaching ministry. It's super exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Well, God bless you. And uh, we just appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Yeah, it's good to be with you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.